Welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 24th of January, 2024. It's Wednesday, mercifully Wednesday. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. Appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend. All that good stuff. I really do. And uh, check out patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. See all the happenings going on with the show. Now let's get on with the show, shall we? A brief note, since we won't have the... uh, results on there. I just want to point out about what to look forward to or look for when it comes to the New Hampshire primaries. Donald Trump's margin of victory, whether or not Nikki Haley will stick through it. There's under normal circumstances, anything short of a victory would be the death knell for Nikki Haley, provided it's by, you know, five points or more. But with South Carolina, her home state coming next. She might just want to stick around till there. I don't know what the polling data shows internally for her campaign. But if they think they have a chance, expect them to stick around for that. But that would be it. If she loses by 10 points or more, I don't think there's much of a debate about whether or not, boy, should we uh, stick around or not. I think they'd have to admit that it's over and go on about their business. But we'll see. We'll see. She swept the first six votes up in Dixville Notch in New Hampshire, where they vote at midnight, all six people who live there. Talk about a tax base in need of an expansion. I think when I, I, think when I was younger, there were like 11 people who voted then. Now they're down to six. So, yeah. Anyway, so we'll, we'll know tomorrow what happened and what's done of it. I want to start off, though, with this story out of New York City and just to demonstrate how screwed up our culture has become, and almost irredeemably so, to be honest with you. The headline from the New York Post, ugly MTA subway safety rails at NYC station don't impress uh, commuters. Quote, what's the point? They have a problem with homeless people, junkies, uh, criminals, just plain old violent people in New York City. No one is making that decision on their way back from lunch. Nobody productive. Rather than deal with the problem, they have put up these yellow fences in between the uh, the subway and well between the platform and where the subway goes. So they're but they're wide openings because you can't people have to get on the subways. You can't scale the subways. So the. Uh, Aesthetics aside, I don't really care about the aesthetics. The yellow, the the fence matches the yellow of the the warning strip on the ground that lets you know that you're entering a subway or going to be entering subway to mind the gap. That's fine. But if you have a 20-foot opening and 10 feet of it is covered by this fence, 10 feet is not. 10 feet is the 10 feet that's open is theoretically where the doors are going to go on the subway car, so it makes sense that those would be open. But where do you think people congregate whilst waiting for the subway train to come along? They congregate right where it is. Everybody wants to be the first one on because that gives them the best chance at a seat or a 
a prime location standing near a door or whatever it is that you're into when you ride the subway. You are not interested in standing around getting clobbered or getting stuck in the middle or whatever. You know, you don't want to be the last one on trying to shove your butt inside the door. Because then if you're not going just to the next stop, you got to get off. You got to let everybody else get off. And then you got to get back on and go through it all over again. The best position is to get in just to the side of the door, out of the way against the wall, so you can stand there unmolested as people get around you. Well, now everybody's going to be congregating in these openings between the gates, which if you're inclined to hip check somebody into the train tracks, now you've got a a smaller area. Like You still have the, the option to do it. The story, Metropolitan Transit Authority has installed safety rails at Washington Heights subway station as part of a new pilot program. But Big Apple strap hangers say they're not sold on the idea. Quote, they should put up barriers on every train station in the city, but not like this one, says David Miela, a uh, customer service representative for Long Island Railroad told the post uh what are they going to actually do they're they're opening still what's the point he said retail worker chris mills called the bright yellow rails quote a cheap option at best quote in japan for example they have high-tech barriers that cover the gaps mills said but this is just a start yeah they could if they really wanted to and they really have to spend a ton of money and they'd really have to be committed to making sure that They don't at all address the problem of mentally ill people trying to do physical harm to other New Yorkers. Uh, They'd have to put up barricades that go up when the train is there and then go back down when the train is not there so that at no point are the tracks wide open. At which point I'd imagine the insane, the criminally insane, the mentally unstable would then revert to a stabbing or just general attacking posture on the subways. The barriers were placed on the edge of the platform over the weekend with gaps in the railings and enough space for strap hangers to get in and out of the subway cars. Quote, this is about finding creative ways to improve safety, MTA chairman and CEO Jano Lieber said in a statement. A hearty pat on the back to New York City transit professionals who found a practical way to jumpstart the feeling and the reality of safety on the subway system. If you want safety on the subway system, uh, put some public safety officers down there. Make sure that people who are disruptive, violent, insane, aggressive, that they are taken off there by the police. But, of course, they don't do that. Remember the guy who, what, about probably six months ago now, a guy was threatening to kill a bunch of people on a subway car, and a uh, former military guy subdued him. The guy fought back, and the guy ended up, the homeless guy ended up dying. The guy's threatening to kill everybody. And the man who stepped in the Good Samaritan, is now charged with manslaughter, I believe it was. And you're sitting there going, how does this happen? Why would any, no one will ever get involved again. Nobody, if you would just want people to walk through blinders and step over somebody being violently assaulted or raped or whatever, um, 
this is the way to do it. This is the way to go about it. It's absolutely stupid and messed up. And instead, they put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, which is just, well, let's not deal with the underlying cause. Let's put a barricade up so that people can't shove people onto the subway in certain parts. Now, if you're smart, you'll stand near these things, but that's not the way people work. I remember being in Washington, D.C., taking the metro every single day. Never once did I see anybody shoved onto the train tracks. When uh, I've taken the subway in New York, the only thing that's, you know, about the subway in New York is you're going, God, how the hell does anybody figure this mess out? But you do. But you still, you look at it and you go, this is ridiculous. Never once in my mind did it occur to me to sit there and go, well, what if somebody comes along and tries to shove me in front of a moving train? But it's been a couple of years since I've been in New York. Things have definitely changed. Things have gotten a lot worse. And everybody seems to be acting as though they're fine. So they'll put up these barricades. They'll put up all sorts of temporary measures. They will start putting, and I promise you, this is only a matter of time. They will start putting up half walls and little barricades for privacy. Not for, new. well, I guess they're technically New Yorkers. But little privacy cubicles or whatever for people, maybe they'll say, well, homeless people who want to sleep on the street, but it'll mostly be for bathroom use, for drug use, and for use for sex. And you sit there and you go, what are you talking about? Look, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in Central Park already with no barricades, no nothing but trees. There will be homeless advocates. You ever notice that homeless advocates don't actually advocate for people getting jobs. They advocate for tents for homeless people. They advocate for soup kitchens for homeless people. They advocate for all sorts of things to make being homeless as comfortable as possible. Well, honestly, being homeless should be as uncomfortable as possible. Just like being on a free lunch and welfare. Remember, it used to be, well, welfare. You're on food stamps. You actually had food stamps. And what did they do? The Democrats came in and said, well, that's a stigma. There's a stigma attached. There should be a stigma attached to that. You aren't taking care of yourself. You aren't taking care of your family. We're willing to help you for a while, but it should not become a lifestyle. It should never at any point in your life on welfare be comfortable. It just should not. So you absolutely should be wildly uncomfortable. People are judging. You're damn right people are judging you. Use it because you need it and then get off of it. But instead, they wanted to remove the stigma. And what did they do? They said, here's a credit card. We'll call it, we'll name it ironically, the Government of Ironic Names or the the Department of Ironic Names called it the Independence Card. It's really a codependence card, but don't worry about it. Take this and then you can use it just like a debit card, just like a credit card. And it's all good. And then you will lose the stigma attached to being on food stamps. Well, damn it, there should be a stigma attached to being on food stamps. It is not something to aspire to. It is something to get away from as quickly as humanly possible. Part of that motivation was the stigma attached to it. Now, that stigma is gone. I'd also like to see a law enacted that if you use an independence card and you're in line anywhere, 
and there's somebody behind you, you have to, by law, turn and thank them? Just to complete the train. Forget pins. You know, you don't have to enter a pin number, although you probably need to enter a pin number to make sure that you're not selling your card. But um, when you use it, turn to the person behind you and say thank you. You should anyway. But this is part of the destigmatizing that the left is trying to do for crime, for degeneracy, for failure, for apathy, for anything. You should learn from failure. You should not embrace it. You should not marinate in it. You should not use it as an excuse your whole damn life. The way that they're doing things, they have what? They have, well, we're going to give kids free breakfast and lunch at schools. Well, it started off at free lunch. When I was a kid, there were people who had free lunches. They'd go up in line. I always brought my lunch. We probably could have qualified for free lunch. I was able to, allowed to, my parents let me buy lunch one day a week, usually on Fridays because they had grilled cheese and tomato soup. And uh, the kids would go in line and they'd go up there and they'd free lunch. What's your name? And they'd give the name and they'd check on the list and like, you are on the list. You get it for free. And that's it. They cross them off for that day. Now, because they want to remove the stigma of being on a free lunch, they are pushing to make lunches free for everybody. Why? We don't owe everybody a lunch. They're also including breakfast. Why? Because some children, these are the only meals they have all day. Well, they have really crappy parents. Can we just be honest about it? Let's be honest. If that's it, a carton of eggs or some oatmeal, any kind of cereal doesn't have to be named branch and It's pretty cheap. In the grand scheme of things, oh, yeah, eggs have gotten more expensive since Joe Biden's been president, but they're not $100. If you're getting food, if you're getting free lunch and free breakfast at school, you're on food stamps, right? If you're on food stamps, what the hell are we giving you food stamps for if we're taking care of two to three meals for your kids every day? And what exactly do you, as a bad parent, bring to the table? Certainly not inspiration. You can't be bothered to get up and fry an egg or make some oatmeal or anything for your kid. You can't put together a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for your kid to let your kid know that you care about them. You just say, oh, government's got it. Government's going to take care of it. Don't worry about the government's got it. What message does that send to your kid? It sends the message to your kid, and this is why Democrats embrace it, make no mistake. It sends a message to your kid that good things flow from government. Don't look anywhere else for good things, for necessary things. Governments got your back. People get conditioned from an early age. They should be conditioned to understand hopefully, that their parents love them and they're willing to get their ass out of bed a little early in the morning or stay up late to make lunch or make breakfast or whatever, but they don't anymore. Because why? Because government's got it. That's not all parents, but it doesn't take all parents. It just takes enough parents. And how many parents out there, how many people out there would probably do these things? But now government's doing it. Why, I could get up, I could, but you know what? Government's taking care of it. Why should I bother? None of this is by accident. Do you really think Democrats care? 
They want to remove the stigma. They don't want to remove the stigma. They want to take their talons deeper into every child out there. They want a piece of the action of every American family. So no one questions it. So the future, they have the uh, the cigarette company business model. The first one's free, kid. Hook them while they're young. Get them going. Get them used to freebies. Free being in quotes because nothing is free. That way, when these people start working, you can tax the hell out of them if they bother to start working. You can tax the hell out of them. But it's not really about them working as much as it's about them voting. You condition people to this stuff, and it changes everything. You sap their humanity, but you got their vote. Most human beings would look at that and feel guilty about it, feel wildly guilty about it. Democrats look at it and think that's a pretty good business model. That's a pretty good bit. We can use public money to make sure that we perpetuate our own power. Maybe I'm too cynical, but I know I'm not. This is true. This is how these people think. Really is. I'm looking, should I do this? Yeah, I'll do this now, because why not? The Oscar nominations were announced this morning, and people are wildly upset. Why? Because why not? (laughs) What else do these people have to do? Nothing. They're upset that uh, Barbie got nominated for Best Picture and Ryan Gosling got nominated for playing Ken for Best Supporting Actor. But Margot Robbie did not get nominated for playing Barbie and Greta Gerwig did not get nominated for directing the movie. I I just, look, I love movies. So I follow this stuff. I follow it with much less interest than I did when I was younger. But I still follow this stuff. And it's kind of funny because they all, everybody, every year there's always somebody who they quote unquote get snubbed. They got snubbed. Can you believe they snubbed them? And you go, well, what, uh, who would you not have nominated to get the person you want? Who who sucked? Who shouldn't have been in there? And nobody ever has an answer. Like, well, uh, I think they should have more. When you have, because they always, it's usually director thing. How can you have somebody nominated for best picture and not nominate the director? Well, it's pretty simple. A few years ago, probably about 10 or 15 years ago now, they expanded the number of movies that could be nominated for best picture from five to 10. Well, up to 10. Most, let's see, how many did they do this time? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, Eight, nine, ten. They actually did nominate ten. Most years they've nominated, I don't know if they've ever nominated ten before. Most years they've nominated between uh, seven and nine movies, which is a horrible testament to the film industry. Uh, Like, let's get, because they they go, well, honestly, they expanded the list of nominees from five to ten for marketing purposes for movies. See, there are some people who will see, oh, this is nominated for Best Picture. And there's some people who will just go rent it, buy it, go see it in the theater, whatever, because of the Oscar nod. I think less so now, but in the past they didn't. That's part of the rationale for expanding it as well. We can have uh, the Oscars aren't until when the hell are the Oscars? Uh, I earlier time. March 10th. So they've got a month and a half of marketing where they say, this is nominated for Best Picture. 
buy it now on iTunes, buy it now at Best Buy, go see it in theaters, whatever it is. And people will do it. Not a lot of people, some people, but, you know, some is more than none. So they've got that going for them. But a lot of times they would only nominate eight movies and you go, well, it's, it's a marketing gimmick. You couldn't just throw a bone to any of them? You're like, no. It's kind of Hollywood saying, our industry sucks. We make crap movies. We can only really pick out eight Four or five of which only got this nomination for marketing purposes because the studios paid us a bunch of money. And we couldn't even just throw a bone in for one or two more. Not interested. But they all go, how can it be nominated for Best Picture when it's not nominated for Best Director? Well, you you double the number of slots for Best Picture than there are Best Director. So somebody's going to get shafted. That's just how it works. Who do you not want to get it? There are four or five people. I guess one of them is even a woman. I think she's a foreigner. She's one of, from one of those frozen fish-eating countries in Northern Europe, somewhere in Scandinavia. Justine Trite directed Anatomy of a Fall. She's nominated. And then Scorsese. You're going to tell Scorsese, sorry, pal, you didn't cut the mustard. Even though nobody wanted to watch that movie, uh, Killer of the Flower Moon. I have Apple TV+. Plus. I have unfettered access to watch this movie. There's literally nothing about it that is of interest to me at all. I could have watched it at any point in the past, however long it's been out. It is of no interest to me. Like, eh, I'll watch it at some point when there's literally nothing else to do. Nothing else to do. I mean, I just ran out of Reacher, so I'll probably watch it sooner rather than later, but it's like I never thought, ooh, the new Scorsese. Ooh, it's got Leonardo DiCaprio. Isn't every Scorsese movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, don't you? Is he just the biggest crutch director? He makes great movies, but honestly, first half of his career, it was Robert, is Robert De Niro available? Then I'll make this movie. Robert De Niro? Robert, and then occasionally he'd make a movie without Robert De Niro and everybody go, God, that sucked. And they go, all right, back to Robert De Niro then. The second half of his career is Leo, is Leo available? Can we get Leo and Robert De Niro? Can we do that? And then Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things, and Jonathan Glazer for something called The Zone of Interest. This is why nobody cares. These are the movies that are, the movies that are nominated for Best Picture. American fiction. I don't know what American fiction is. But I'm going to guess that it has something to do with how America sucks. Just going to go out on a limb and say why it is it's something about America sucks. I could be wrong, but I doubt it. Okay, let's see. American Fiction is a 2023 American comedy drama written and directed by Cord Jefferson in his feature directorial debut based on the 2001 novel Erasure by Provacal Everett. The film follows a frustrated novelist professor who writes an outlandishly stereotypical black book as satire, only for the book to become published to high sales and praise. Uh, it is about America sucks. Yeah. Judging by the Wikipedia page, a black author writes a book, a book about satire, satiring black culture to show how racist the country is probably out of frustration and it's taken seriously and met with critical 
and commercial praise. And of course, it's all the country sucks, the country sucks, the country sucks. And you can wonder why it is people don't go out to the movies anymore. Can't imagine why. Who would have thought any such thing? <laughs> but I've, I'm looking at these list of movies and I haven't seen most of them. I haven't even heard of most of them. And you're sitting there going, what in the hell has happened to the movie business? Well, the movie business has gone to hell. The movie business is about politics. The movie business, nobody's seen this movie. I promise you, nobody's seen American. Let me look that up. American fiction. Let's go to Box Office Mojo. Boxofficemojo.com. That is, um, sadly, if you're a real film nerd, this is where you can go to see how much money a movie made. You can't. American fiction. There it is. It has been released. Oh, okay. It was released back in December. I bet you didn't know that because I didn't know that. It does not have the production budget, which is never a good sign. Its opening weekend, it grossed $224,469. And the worldwide gross, the entire planet Earth, has brought this film $7,959,023. Now, I promise you this movie cost more than that to make and market. But it fits the liberal agenda. It shall forever be known as an Oscar-nominated film. Why? Because why not? And it will be marketed. And several people, I believe, have been nominated from the movie for the acting awards. Again, if a performance happens in the woods and nobody goes to the theater to see it, does it really any good? I looked it up on IMDb, too. There... There is no production budget amount listed there either. Not bode well. It's an impressive cast. If you look at the people in it, you will recognize a lot of them. But I'm not really sure how the uh, how it qualifies as best picture. Anatomy of a Fall, which is again one of those fish-eating countries. Somebody that's a murderer. Did the person die accidentally? Then there's Barbie. The Holdovers... Killer of the Flower Moon, Maestro. I tried to watch Maestro. I did watch Maestro, I guess I should say. I uh, kept falling asleep during Maestro. I couldn't understand the point of Maestro. It was about, um, oh, God, I can't remember, the Bernstein, Leonard Bernstein's life. And all I took away from it is he was gay and he smoked a lot. And I kept falling asleep because it was very, very boring. Then Oppenheimer, something called Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. What is The Zone of Interest? I suspect this is another one of those movies where nobody really gives a damn. The Zone of Interest. The Commandant of Auschwitz, Rudolf Hoss, and his wife Hedwig strive to build a dream life for their family in a house garden next to the camp. Really? Gross. Okay, I'm sure it's got a good message and everything. It looks like it's in German. 
language movie. Everybody's got umlauts in their name in the cast. But again, this is a situation where you're like, why would you nominate a movie nobody's ever heard of? I promise you the box office on that is worse than anything else. And so you look at it and you really want to know what's wrong with Hollywood. And my kids will be wildly disappointed in this because they have, they added 20 years ago the best animated feature. And uh, Super Mario was not nominated. Puss in Boots was nominated last time. But Super Mario was, Super, Super Mario made a billion dollars. It was wildly popular. It was a funny movie. It was a fine movie. I took the kids to see it. It was an enjoyable movie. Would I you know, pay to see it again? No, but I did buy it. So technically I pay to watch it every time it's on at my house. But it was a popular movie. Instead, you get The Boy and Huron. I don't know what the hell that is. But the directors or producers or whoever they are, Hayao Mizantaki and Toshio Suzuki. So I imagine it's one of those god-awful Japanese animation things that people pretend to like, but they really suck and we all know it. Elemental. Nimona. Robot Dreams. And Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. If that's the best that animation can come up with. Animation, isn't that supposed to be about kids? But as with everything, adults ruin everything. They come in and go, well, let's make it about us. Let's make it about us. And they do. The documentaries are all left-wing crap. All the movies, everything about it is left-wing crap. It'll be interesting to see, and it's going to be funny to watch. People are saying, oh, Barbie not being nominated is exactly the problem. It was, it's, bringing, it's the movie coming to life. Will the number of diversity nominations be enough to placate the left-wing mob? I don't know. There's only one diverse actor nominated, let's see, actress in a supporting role. Uh, somebody from The Color Purple made it. Uh, there's a couple of them. Yeah, I think they'll be placated in that. It's so pathetic. Now your Oscar nomination, starting next year, you have to have a certain percentage of the cast or crew being diverse. I think it's like 40% or 50% or something like that. So the end of, if you're going to make a movie that's going to try to be Oscar bait, you can't really make a, uh, you can't really make any historical fiction or historical dramas, historical reenactments, nothing. You can't. You got to just throw it. Let's throw it. Here, uh, the uh, general at uh, at the Alamo, Santa Ana, did he know he was trans? He was a trans woman. Dame Judy Dench is going to play Santa Anna at uh, in this movie, and it's going to be wonderful. And Davy Crockett will be played by Kate Winslet, and Oprah Winfrey will play Daniel Moon. It'll be Oscar bait like you wouldn't believe. Not Oscar so much, but master at least, knowing these people. Let us go north of the border just because I like to give... You know, you, you'll hear it someplace else, probably in a couple of weeks, a couple of months. But there is a uh, Canada has legalized assisted suicide. They don't call it assisted suicide; they call it made medical assistance in dying. Is Canada's medical suicide, is assisted suicide? Doctors can now kill you. 
They've added depression to the list of things that you can uh, be a state-sanctioned death for. It really is amazing. It was always, and this is one of those things because you, you, you always hear the criticism of conservatives. You make the slippery slope argument. You make the slippery slope argument. Well, it's because the slope is pretty damn slippery. That's why. On gay marriage, it was just this, just this, and no far. And it doesn't matter what you think of gay marriage. I'm fairly innocuous to the prospect, to be honest with you. But uh, I, I didn't like the way it came about. I didn't like the fact that judges decreed it. It's never good like that. It's never good that way. Uh, people who scream this is what democracy looks like decidedly didn't want to have anything to do with democracy on that. And it caused a lot of resentment. But the argument was, well, that's going to lead to a whole bunch of other things. And who's to say that you can't have throuples getting married and you can't have this, that, and, the other? and everybody's like, well, that's ridiculous. And then that started to happen. Lawsuits started to happen. All sorts of things started to happen. Uh, they said, well, this would never, ever happen. And I would say we're a few years away from three people being able to get married, multiple people being able to get married, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. And uh, we're a couple of Supreme Court justices away from forcing people to do things against their personal beliefs. It's funny. Again, the same people. Those totalitarian right-wingers. Now shut up and bake me a cake or I'll throw your ass in jail. Like, huh. Anybody, anybody connecting those dots at all? Anybody, anybody else witnessing this? The medical-assisted suicide is always the terminal ill. Like I grew up in Michigan at a time when Jack Kevorkian was rolling around with vans and two-by-fours with cyanide bottles hanging from them and the suicide machine, and you pushed the button, and Jeffrey Figer was his lawyer and blah, 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 and it was a matter of principle, and you can sit there and look, I can understand. I can absolutely understand. You watch somebody you love die, you watch somebody you love suffer, and you go, this is, they, they, they've had enough, all right? They've had enough. It hurts. It's painful. It's constantly painful. It's constantly hurting, whatever it is. And you go, okay, you know, you pray maybe for sweet release, whatever. But you understand that if you, you know, they said, you get me the pills. I can't take this anymore. But there were warnings that once you start down this road, it's going to be, where does it stop? Where does it, does it stop? If you can kill somebody because they're terminally ill, okay, all agree, terminally ill. Well, what if they're depressed? Well, now in Canada, you can get physician-assisted suicide if you're depressed through the MAID program. You can get it if you're disabled, not terminally ill, not permanently um, in pain, but disabled. Well, my mother was disabled most of my life. She lost her right leg when I was a kid to arteriosclerosis above the knee had phantom pain. It was, you know, she'd never, apparently she walked without crutches for a little while, but then she fell and then she only used crutches. I don't remember her really walking without crutches except for sort of around 
the house from one place to another, not long term. She would have qualified for assisted suicide. It's ridiculous. The conditions that qualify for assisted suicide in Canada, you must have a serious illness, disease, or disability. Disability. Serious, not terminal. Serious. There are lots of things that are chronic that are not terminal. But you can kill yourself in Canada. Be in an advanced state of decline that cannot be reversed. Okay. Joe Biden. No. Experience unbearable physical or mental suffering from your illness, disease, disability, or state of decline that cannot be relieved under conditions that you consider acceptable. That can mean just about anything. And right now they are looking to expand it to include people with mental problems. People with mental problems, people that are crazy, people that are suffering from depression, all manner of mental problems, schizophrenics. I want you to listen to Mark Holland. He is the Canadian health minister. Talk about assisted suicide for people with mental problems. And he uh, he seems to be in a very big hurry. <laughs> Like there's a pre- there's a whole bunch of crazy people who would like nothing more than to kill themselves, but they're just waiting for the official government sanction for it. And look, if you're genuinely hell bent on doing it, you there is nothing that can stop you. But why? I think some people believe that there is some sort of moral sanctioning to it if it is state sanctioned. Anyway, listen to the casual nature this guy talks about. I to ask you about May. With the March deadline coming up, how close are you to decide whether to expand to include mental health or to postpone further? Uh, well, we really appreciate the work of the uh, the Joint Committee uh, that uh, its findings are going to be reported next week. Uh, I think it's appropriate that we wait to uh, to see the conclusions of that that committee's work. But let me be clear: uh, in talking with health ministers across the country, there have been concerns about readiness. Um, there is no question in my mind that uh, that equivalency exists between uh, physical and mental suffering. Uh, but by the same token, we have to make sure our system is ready. Uh, so I'll be looking forward to next week the uh, the report that will come from the Joint Committee on that question, and uh, we'll be obviously needing to take action immediately thereafter. We're going to get that action going immediately. You can tell he's going to be coming sexually aroused. Okay, going right away. There's obviously an equivalent. He's already made up his mind. It's very important we do this. We got to get this done. We got to. We can't have people out there who are crazy living. Let's do lower the carbon footprint by that way. You have a bad day. You have a bad couple of weeks, a bad couple of months, how many people have been really down? How many people have been through rough patches? How many people, how many, just thinking, speaking of movies, how many movies have you seen based on a true story that are what? Stories of people overcoming things that they never thought they could. People overcoming Odds that seemed insurmountable, tragedies beyond what you can believe, horrible things. They overcame them. They did it. They succeeded against all odds. And Canada's response is, yeah, but 
we could just kill them. We don't have to worry about that if they want to kill them, right? If they if they they have to request that they kill themselves, but they'll start advertising. Hey, are you sad? You know, it's bad enough. You you can sort of tell the health of a society by the the tone and tenor of the and the topics of daytime television commercials. When I was a kid, they were like, you can become a paralegal. You can become, go to trade school, learn a trade, get a job. This is, you can drive a truck. You can uh, do this. We're hiring. Down. And now it is, has anybody ever slipped and full? Have you ever hurt yourself? Somebody look at your cross-eyed. We'll sue them. We'll sue them. We'll get your benefits. We'll get you this. Get a reverse mortgage. Hey, here's diabetes medicine. Here's this, that, and the other thing. And you're like, what the hell has happened here? Times have changed. You can imagine the Canadian government advertising going, hey, uh, are you sad? Look, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to put up with that sadness anymore. Come on, man. This is progressive government at work. And since we're talking about health care and progressive government, I've got to, I saw these two stories. They're both, let's see, the other one, yeah. They're both from 2018. But they are something to behold and indicative of government's priorities and where we are heading. This is in the UK, the National Health Service. Canada has socialized medicine. They call it Medicare we have socialized medicine for seniors over 65 and the disabled. We call it Medicare as well. Over in the UK, it is National Health Service, NHS. This is uh, allows government to pick priorities on behalf of people. If government doesn't want to cover something, you're not going to get it covered. It doesn't matter. Your private insurance might cover it. But if you're over in the UK, how many kids have you heard about who were seriously injured, disabled? Maybe they were never going to recover. They're in a coma, and the government says, "Well, we got to cut you off. We got to, we got to unplug your kid. Don't worry." And the parents are like, "No, the kid responds. There's, we still have hope. I understand false hope, and I understand the desire for all of that. But you know what? It's their kid." Let them have it. But no, the NA, the NHS doesn't look at this kid as a potential human being or a human being or whatever. They look at it as, well, that's a liability. This is just outlaying a whole bunch of money. If we can get this kid dead, we can free this bed up for somebody else. And it's going to cost us a whole lot of money for this kid to be alive. So let's make sure that we don't spend that money. That sort of mentality. So you have two stories of where politically correct government-controlled health care goes. And you can see why Democrats in this country so desperately want it. One story, this one's from the UK Daily Mail. I'm not going to give you the headline because they give everything away in the headline. A senior NHS gynecologist who caused an unborn baby to be accidentally decapitated inside its mother's womb will be able to return to work. Dr. Vyashni Laxman, 43, was yesterday found culpable of medical failures after a tribunal revealed she should have given the 30-year-old patient an emergency cesarean section as the premature infant was in breech position at the hospital in Dundee. But she instead attempted to carry out the delivery naturally, and tragedy struck when the doctor urged the patient to push whilst herself applying traction to the baby's legs. 
The maneuver caused the infant's legs, arms, and torso to become detached, leaving the head still in his mother's womb. Sorry, that's so graphic, but it's a news story and it happened. This is, and this doctor was returned back to work. Okay. Yeah, she's found culpable, she, but go ahead, go back to work. No big, I mean, it was just a baby. It's a potential baby, potential human. Just didn't live up to the potential. Am I right? Am I right? Meanwhile, that was in June. Uh, that was, in fact, June 5th, 2021 or 2018. A month and three days later, on July 8th, 2018, this one from the UK Telegraph. I'll just give you the headline because it's one of those things that you can't believe. Government drops doctor who says gender given at birth. A doctor who admits that you that gender is, you know, part of birth gets screwed, gets fired. Why? Because political correctness. When you have a government choosing winners and losers, and that government is not interested in market forces, that government is interested exclusively in a political agenda, that will look at people and go, meh, whatever. Who cares? The UK Daily Mail has the story too. Christian doctor fired. A doctor has been fired from a top government role for suggesting gender is determined at birth. At birth, Dr. David Macreath, 55, who worked as an NHS doctor for 26 years, was deemed, quote, unfit to work after he said he would refuse to identify patients by their preferred genders. The senior doctor was set to become a disability assessor for the Department of Work and Pensions, claims a person's gender is biological and has said his right to freedom of speech has been denied. It, of course, has been denied. The medic from Dudley in the West Midlands fears other professional people of faith could lose their jobs simply for holding opinions about gender that are, quote, centuries old, that are biologically and scientifically correct. Let us not forget that bit. Christian Dr. Macrath says it is his religious belief. The medic who spent most of his career in accident and emergency wards said, quote, I'm not attacking the transgender movement, but I am defending my right to freedom of speech and freedom of belief. I don't think it should be I should be compelled to use a specific pronoun. I am not setting out to upset anyone, but if upsetting someone can lead to doctors being sacked, then as a society, we have to examine what we are, where we are going, he said, end quote. How true is that? This is the world that we are creating. You can decapitate an infant during birth because of negligence, incompetence, whatever you want to call it, and you're clear to go back to work. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, it'll be a there'll be a little stain on your record. It'll be a little stain on your. But don't worry, no big shake. How do you think the uh, the mom pulled through this incident? How do you think her mental stability went? Well, if she were in Canada, the government would be right there and say, "I know you're going through a tough time right now. 
Have you considered maybe ending your life? Right? Wouldn't you want to be reunited with your child? Wouldn't you want to... You say that's absurd. Are we really... Is that that absurd? Are we really, realistically, that far away from that? Once you go down this slippery slope, it becomes super slippery. You start picking up speed. You have the government health minister going, we can't wait to get this report because then we can start killing the mentally unstable. And there are activists in this country doing it in Oregon or Washington. You can both, I think. You can get a physician-assisted suicide. If you really want to kill yourself, there's nothing stopping you from it. But state sanctioning is problematic. State sanctioning is a bridge too far because state sanctioning means welcomes state funding. State funding welcomes state bureaucrats. State bureaucrats look for ways to expand their footprint. They need to justify their existence. There is no bureaucrat who, upon setting up a new department or a new government program, will then go to their bosses and say, my work here is done. Everything is in place. You don't need me or anybody like me or anybody at all to work on this thing. It is self-sufficient. It is not. They find new and creative ways to make themselves, quote-unquote, indispensable, to get more money, to get more job security, to get more power, and to grease up that slope that realistically, seemingly goes straight down to hell, if we're being honest. When government has a vested interest in whether or not you survive or anybody survives, do you really think they they approach it from a perspective of concern or care? Do you really think they do, oh, it's so sweet and wonderful, and this person is truly, this grandmother is truly loved, so we must spare no, ex- no, they don't give a damn. How much are you going to contribute to society? It's very communist, very authoritarian. How much are you going to contribute? How much is it going to cost us? Do we have any shot at all of recouping what it's going to cost us to keep you alive? We don't. We don't. We're not going to have any way. Nah, forget it. You know what? Forget it. Remember when Barack Obama said, look, grandma, she's sick. She's your mother or whatever. The woman asked him in the 2012, I think, maybe it was 2008, campaign about her mother. Her mother had a stroke. Costs a lot of money to keep her alive, get her, but she's got a love for life and she's doing great and she's 98 years old and blah, blah, blah. And Obama's answer wasn't what a normal human non-android would be. Like, oh, yeah, no, look, great. Glad she's alive. Wonderful. The spirit of people would be uh, embraced and blah, 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 blah. No, it was sometimes you got to look at it and say uh, instead of expensive surgery, maybe give somebody a pill. Oh, all right. Yeah, your arm fell off, but that's nothing a couple of Tylenol won't let you uh, temporarily forget. It's all good. Take your medicine. You thought, well, he's just being an artful. No, he's not being an artful. He's being honest. I recognize that it's confusing when a Democrat was honest because you're like, what? what's going on here? They're being honest. There's something they can't be honest. They're not. Every once in a while, they do. They tell you. More so now, honestly, because they live such insulated lives that they just blurt things out. I watched, because uh, self-loathing or whatever, I watched a good chunk of the uh, 
debate out in California for the Senate seat out there from the late Dianne Feinstein. And uh, there's three Democrats on stage running, two Democrats on stage moderating, and Steve Garvey running as a Republican. One of the Democrats running is, I thought Steve Garvey did a fine job. One of the Democrats on stage running is a congresswoman named Katie Porter. She is insufferable. And if memory serves me correctly, I believe she stabbed her ex-husband with a fork at one point. Um, apropos of nothing. She's one of these people like, I'm a single mother. I'm a single mother. Like, yeah, no kidding. You stabbed your husband with a fork. That'll do it. That'll do it right there. But um, she was whining and complaining. She's in favor of Medicare for all, socialized medicine. Same thing. She's going, well, in the private sector, in the private sector, every thousand dollars, it costs $17 to administer. They're spending so much money on administrative costs, blah, 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 whereas in Medicare, it's so efficient that they only spend $2 out of every thousand administering things and denying benefits and things like that. And, and, and of course, the audience of barking seals out in California who don't know any better applaud and go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I used to be a health policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation. I know a thing or two about this. See, the private sector, the private insurance companies, they do have overhead costs. Paperwork has to be maintained. Bills have to be paid. All the things you can possibly imagine for that. You have to employ people to do that. That adds up. And you sit there and you say, well, Derek, doesn't, doesn't Medicare have that? No, not to the extent. Medicare forces medical professionals to do that stuff. So you walk into a doctor's office, and I was just in a doctor's office the other day with my daughter who has the flu. You walk into a doctor's office and you say, God, there's a lot of people that work here. Most of them never see a patient. Most of them do. What are they? They're compliance people. They are the people who do the paperwork. They are the people who deal with not only the insurance companies, but they deal with Medicare and Medicaid. They deal with the government programs. The government puts most of the paperwork burden on the doctors so they can claim our overhead is next to nothing. Well, if you want to get paid, you're going to have to find somebody with a knowledge of, of phone booths, of phone books worth of billing codes and garbage things that government mandates you do. It's not that Medicare is so efficient. It's that the government is the only payer in town, really, the only game in town for senior citizens. And senior citizens, I don't know if you know this or not, require a lot of medical attention, a lot of medical billing. The older you get, the more money is spent on your health care. So they can, if you want a piece of that action, you have to dance the way the government wants you to dance. Government takes advantage of that single-payer aspect for the largest consumers of healthcare by forcing doctors to do all their paperwork so that they can say, our overhead is so low. Meanwhile, the rest of the bureaucracy is gigantic and bloated and wildly expensive, but it's not in paperwork related to claims filed by patients and doctors. Again, if you ran your business this way, you'd go to jail for fraud. 
you run government this way, you run for re-election and claim yourself to be a hero. I cannot stress enough how you do not want to cede your power, your choice, your freedom to government. Once it's gone, it ain't giving it back. They don't give it up. They don't go, well, you know what, really, really screwed up there. They have this mindset of, well, big government has failed. What we need is bigger government. What we need is to go even deeper into it. We must go deeper into it. It's like saying the only way to get out of debt, we can spend our way out of debt. Give me the credit card. You go, that doesn't, that's not how it works. That's never worked in all of human history. Where do you even come up with these ideas? Well, if you got a better idea, well, we could stop spending so much and spend spend less than we take in and then use that extra to pay down. The, you know, what kind of a voodoo monster are you? What do you want to, you want to cut kids? You want to send kids out into the streets? You want to get people killed? When you control the unit, I say it every day because it's, I should have a T-shirts made. When you control the unit of measure, you control everything. We have this perverse thing, and Democrats cite this all the time, and as the election gets closer, you're going to hear it a lot more in your state and local races and the presidential race. You're going to be, we spend more money on health care than any other industrialized country, and we get worse results. Blah, 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 blah. How do you figure that? Well, we have a lower life expectancy. Life expectancy is going to Joe Biden makes the life expectancy argument going down. Point out to him or point out to any Democrat who tells you uh, the reason the life expectancy has gone down ain't COVID. The reason life expectancy has gone down is fentanyl. All right. It's not senior citizens dying of COVID because they have comorbidities or they're just, you know, 97 years old and got COVID. It's the 18-year-old taking what they think is an Adderall, and it's a counterfeit laced with fentanyl that kills them. That's what's going. That's the only way to get rid uh, or to lower life expectancy is younger people die. We also have a suicide problem in this country that Democrats don't want to address because that would lead to some inconvenient thoughts that, you know, as they're looking to industrialize death, they wouldn't mind industrializing suicide as well. Look at what Canada's doing. We don't want to be the last country not to have sad people killing themselves, do we? And oh, by the way, the number of deaths, we're, we're relying on other countries that have less than stellar reporting practices to determine their life expectancy. You know, you could say, well, Japan is a little bit different. Japan eats a fish based, a heavily fish based diet, a healthier diet, probably for human beings. So you expect them to have a little bit more life expectancy. But most of the rest of the world, not so much. And you sit there and you go, why are we so low? Why are we behind presumably third world? There's a very simple reason for that. The way it's calculated, you control the numbers, you control the world. We count infant mortality. We count stillborn. We count infants who live for a day or two. We do everything we can to try and make premature babies as, as little as, you know, what, 15 weeks, less, survive. We count them when they don't. That lowers our number. Other countries, a lot of other countries, don't count them. Pretty simple. Pretty simple, pretty truthful, 
Just look it up. You can look it up for yourself. Since we're talking about Europe and all of these, uh, this messy situation, I want to play for you. There's a bizarre incident that happened over in the UK in what looks like a mall. I don't think there's nobody with suitcases, so I don't think it's an airport. Kind of looks like a little bit of an airport. I've never been to Heathrow, but it's more like a mall. There's a piano player at a mall that has gone viral, a confrontation between a piano player and six Chinese nationals who demanded that their images not be broadcast online or their voices. And they've got pretty pissed off about it. I'm not going to play you the audio of that confrontation because, you know, Chai comp spies, whatever, who cares? But I'll give you the background here from Business Insider because the police got involved. And that's where it gets a little disturbing. You expect this from communists. You'd expect this from people who are literally waving the Chinese communist flag. They had little Chinese communist flags on a stick in the video. Um, you'd expect that from them. You'd expect something different from the UK police, and you'd be wrong about that. So the story from Business Insider, a confrontation between a group of Chinese people and a pianist in a London train station has gone viral on YouTube. Pianist Brendan Kavanaugh, who was, has around 2.19 million subscribers on YouTube, started a live stream with a camera person on Friday at a public piano at St. Pancras International Station. Quote, very, very cold in London today. It was like minus four, but somebody's got put purple balloons on the piano as well. Kavanaugh quipped before starting to play. A group of about six people can be seen in the background of the video holding flags for the People's Republic of China and yellow sheets of paper. One of them, a woman, stepped forward with her phone to film Kavanaugh as he played in tandem with another pianist. As his fellow pianist took over to play solo, Kavanaugh asked another woman in the group if she would like to dance to the music, but she declined. Minutes later, Kavanaugh was approached by the group the ensuing 10-minute interaction was all caught on and broadcast on Kavanaugh's live stream. Quote, we're here filming for Chinese TV. Did you film all of us in your cameras? Asked the woman who he had filmed. Business Insider could not immediately verify the claims that she works for Chinese TV. Kavanaugh said he wasn't sure if his camera had captured their faces. We're not allowed, he asked. We're not allowed because we're Chinese TV, the woman replied. If you're Chinese TV, you're Chinese media, you're Chinese government. Kavanaugh protested, saying he was live streaming in a public place. He only said that because he was, in fact, live streaming in a public place. A man in the group told him they were protecting their rights to their voice and images, later adding that the group had, quote, an agreement with other people not to show their faces online. Very bizarre. Very well, you're in a public place. One of the most, uh, I guess I would say the UK is one of the most uh, surveilled places on earth, but these people come from China. So, you know, what are you going to do? The man went on to threaten to pursue legal action. Kavanaugh kept arguing, we're in a free country. We're not in communist China, you know. And the man responded, as you would expect, as a good trained person of the left would. 
I'm sorry, this is racist now, he said. <laughs> the video is something to behold. When Kavanaugh reached for one flag uh, the woman was carrying, the man began shouting at him not to touch her. It's really kind of bizarre. I've watched the video of the confrontation, and then along comes the bobbies, the police. And that's where it gets interesting. The police take the side of the Chinese nationals. It, why? It is a public place. You are allowed to film in a public place. You are allowed to live stream in a public place. There is no expectation of privacy out in the open in a public place. If you do not want to be filmed in a public place, become acutely aware of where the cameras are. Put your head on a swivel and walk around them. Get out of what is obviously the camera shot. These people did nothing of the sort. And so I want you to listen to this clip between the police officer, the woman is the police officer, and the piano player, the man. She knows who he is. He's he got, you know, more than two million followers, subscribers on YouTube. He's internet famous. She knows who he is. And uh, listen to her. Her you can't at the end of this. It's a it's a fairly long. It's like a minute forty. At the end of it. He says, this is, Britain, this isn't communist China. Because they are, in fact, in Britain and not in communist China. The cop then immediately says, that's the problem. You can't say that. Why? Why would you not? This whole confrontation, this whole conversation is very, very disturbing for what you think of as free people. Listen, listen, this is going on your YouTube channel, it's, but I need to speak to you without this being on your YouTube channel. Well, what please. about what? Is it public in a public space? Listen, can I just have a conversation sure. with you, please, without your friend video? No, because for, because the camera never lies. Listen, I've got my camera on. Okay, so I've got my camera on. Let's have a conversation then. This is going on your YouTube channel, and I don't want it to go on your YouTube channel. Well, don't channel. talk to me then, Kerry. Listen, listen. She's at Kerry, we're in Britain, right. we're in a public space, we've got a free country. The first of the matter is, is I'm making communist comments at the No, I said, you're waving a communist flag. That's all I said. And the hands were meant to be going towards her? Were you trying to touch her in that I regard? was not trying to touch her. That's why I have a camera. Right? Okay. That's why I have a camera. They've requested that the video where they've approached gets deleted and not used on your channel. No, they because don't Because there's have money that being made and they work for a company their faces can't be shown. Well, they should be in, in the, that's, You're not their private security agent. I'm not their private security okay. agent. Um, we're in a free country. We're in a free space. We're not causing any trouble. The problem is not from us, Kerry. The problem is they are coming over, telling us what to do, and playing the piano. Now, fair is fair, but you are not their private security guards. I never said and like, I was, and I'm so, having a conversation with you. And we're in a free space, in a free country. I'm not causing any trouble. There's an allegation being made, and that's why I'm What's the allegation? Now, you told me to stop filming, and now you say there's an allegation. The there's camera an never lies. The allegation. That's why I filmed. Ca you told me to turn off my camera, and now you're saying I've got the an allegation. Camera, What's the, the allegation? Reason why, the reason why I'm asking you not to film it is because I know that you are putting this on your YouTube. Doesn't matter where it goes, we're in a free country. Sorry. We're in a democracy. We're not in China. And that's not racist, that's the truth. 
That's what I've exactly, always thought. Exactly, but you can't say things like that either. You can't just say things say like what? that. That we're in a free country. No, that we're not in China. We've well, got we're Chinese not. people in China. Well, they came. Listen, Kerry. If I was over in China and I started laying the law down to Chinese people at the piano, telling them what they cannot, cannot do, do you think that's appropriate? They came over here, the guy started shouting at me, and he said, you're not allowed to film, you're not allowed. And I said, sorry, we're in Britain, I'm allowed to play. And I said, you're waving a communist flag. And then he said, you're racist. So if I've done anything wrong, tell me. You can't say that. You're not in a communist country. You're not in a communist country, at least not yet. You still have some freedom of speech over there. But if anything that Kavanaugh had said would have been able to be considered hate speech, and I think that's kind of what the police officer was trying to imply. He's like, well, you're saying you're not in communist China. That's a borderline hate speech. You can't, a rational, that can't be made. That argument can't be made without being laughable. But in the UK, you get arrested for hate speech. You can do unless it's against Israel. You go crazy. The Jews kill the Jews. Blah blah blah. The members of Parliament will uh, forever protect your right to free speech over there. But if you if you dare say anything that might not be of the most positive and fruitful nature toward any marginalized people of uh, color, if you don't count white as the color, then you can be condemned and will be condemned for hate speech. You're like, what? How? When? Why is this police officer doing this? When you heard the cops say they work for a company that says that uh, they can't have their faces shown. What company? What company would do that? Aside from the ultimate company in China, the government, and they would not want potential assets uh, for espionage purposes to have their faces shown. But at which point, some of, somebody's got to up their training, don't you think? Because they're standing around milling about in this video, clearly on camera. If you don't want to be seen by the camera, don't stand in the camera frame. Problem solved, but you don't get to dictate what the camera can film whilst in public. That the police officer is out there making the case to the contrary should be terrifying to everybody because they're really not that far away from making it so, making that possible. Making that not only possible, making that a reality, making it punishable. Scary stuff, scary stuff over there. You think, well, the UK, they're just like us. They're not like us. They're not like us. People go to prison for tweets over there if some marginalized group clutches their pearls over it. And you think, well, maybe they'll move. No, they're not going to move back, not, not without something catastrophic happening. We have a political movement, a political party in this country that is desperately, desperately trying to make us like them. That's what has to be stopped. That's what you have to be aware of. I want to shift gears and talk about Karen Jean-Pierre. Karen, she's so historic. My God, have I mentioned how historic she is of late, recently? Because she is super duper historic. Lee bad at her job. 
She was asked, and I, I highly recommend you go to my Twitter feed or just go to any place and, and search in Peter Ducey and Corinne Jean-Pierre, White House Press Secretary. You'll find this video. She's dressed like the Joker a little bit. She's wearing a purple shirt and a, and a, a tan jacket and a purple shirt. I'm not really sure how that goes together. She pulls it off. She's You're so distracted by how dumb what she says is that you don't really worry about what she's saying. I'm only thinking that because I'm looking at her on pause right now. But she, um, Peter Ducey's asking her about an illegal alien who sexually assaulted a, an underage girl in Virginia. And um, the problem, Peter Ducey, Ducey asks a lot about the border, and he asks a lot about the border. He asks a lot about the questions that half the country care about. The other half of the country simply don't give a damn. But you can tell that he's the only one in the entire press briefing room who gives a damn. Because you watch in this video Peter Ducey asking the question, sitting next to him, to his left, is Kelly O'Donnell of, I think she's NBC News, whatever. They they swap. They're like 70s swingers. They always end up swapping everybody. She, I believe she's NBC News. Red hair. She looks... She looks like a spoiled brat sent to the principal's office who, at a school where her parents are the biggest donors and, like, half the buildings are named after her family. She looks, like, so disinterested. There's nothing you can say to me that you can do anything about. She's just not into it. She's bored to tears. And everybody around her is bored to tears, too, but it's more pronounced in her because she's fully in frame. And there's never a single Peter Ducey has never asked a question to which there has been a follow up, as far to my knowledge, to which there's been a follow up by anybody else in the media. That tells you one of two things. Peter Ducey is a special kind of stupid or he's asking questions that are expressly verboten to be asked on topics that are verboten to be asked about by the rest of the press corps. Neither answer is particularly good, but it's just kind of telling. So he asked about this, and I want you to listen to Corinne Jean-Pierre, not only what she says, because what she says is bad, what she says is stupid, what she says is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous answer, but also how she talks. She's dropping S's. She's leaving things out. She's She's mispronouncing a lot of words. She sounds like a like a moron, quite frankly. She should be embarrassed. She's an adult human being. She is a full-grown adult human being. And she's able to uh, talk. You just talk like this and you're like, are you kidding me? Why would you? You, you're a woman. You're a full-grown adult human being, and you're talking like your your rap album drops next week. You're 49 years old, for God's sakes, and you can't use plurals properly. Listen to listen to what I'm saying. Uh, following up on immigration, authorities in Fairfax County, Virginia, ignored an ICE detainer. They released an illegal immigrant from Honduras who was charged with sexually assaulting a Virginia minor and production of sexual abuse material. Doesn't that go to show 
that as record numbers of people appear at the border, you guys have no idea what kind of people are coming into this country. Let me just say, uh, first of all, this is why the president is having negotiations with the Senate, senators, Republicans and Democrats right, for the past couple of weeks to deal with what's going on with the border security, right, as it, re as it relates to border security. This is why the president on day one put forward a comprehensive immigration plan that, that more than three years now, Congress didn't do anything about. But he's appreciative that we're having these conversations in the Senate. We've, de we've deployed additional troops uh, and federal agents to the border who have, by the way, returned more than 482,000 individuals since May. That's, the, that's what we've been able to do. Uh, we've led the largest expansion of lawful pathways and that we haven't seen in some time. The president continues to have diplomatic conversation with Mexico, who have actually taken, taken actions to deal with uh, the situation. There's more work to do. There's more work to do. We understand that. We have said that. You've heard that from the president on Friday. We understand that there's more work to do. We need more resources. We need more funding, which is why we're having these negotiations in, on the Hill. But Republicans in the Senate is working with us. Republicans in the House are trying to get in the way. Republicans in the Senate is working with us. He's having conversation with Mexico. What the hell is wrong with this woman? Is she wildly nervous? She suffers suffers from the worst case of stage fright of all time that years into her having a position that she's not qualified for, she still hasn't got. Look, if you take your average high school baseball player, maybe even the best player on your, your team, your local high school, you put them in the pros. Forget it. You just skip right through the minor leagues. You go the Al Kaline, Pete Cavilia route, of no minor leagues, straight to the pros, they're probably, they're not going to do all that well. But eventually they'll get a hit. They'll get a few hits. They maybe they'll bat, you know, below the Mendoza line. But they will get some hits, if only by accident. She doesn't get any. She doesn't have a performance that doesn't make her seem like a buffoon. And you just sit there and you watch this and you have to admire the skill. It has to be a skill to be able to be this bad consistently. There's something to be said for consistency. It's not usually good, but there's still something to be said for it. Nobody is that. Nobody is always good. Very nobody's I would say nobody's always bad, but she is amazing at this. She is able to do it again. She's 49 years old and she's up there belching out sentences like about the president's conversation with Mexico or Republic. We've been working with the Republicans. It's hard to even keep track of the stupidity. It's impressive, but it's hard to keep track of. Now I want to, because you sit there and you go, well, she's, maybe she's having a mental decline. The media is now running around saying Donald Trump is, Donald Trump is having a mental decline. John Heilman, is, it's kind of funny. These people are, um, I'd say they're a piece of work, but they're not a piece of work. They're a piece of something, that much is certain. But what they are cannot be mentioned on a family-friendly show other than to say that they are a piece of post-digested food. John Heilman is uh, 
He's an NBC News, MSNBC contributor. He's always on Morning Joe. He used to write books with, uh, I can't even remember, the other guy, his, his writing partner for years. He wrote uh, Double Down and whatever, made him into HBO movies. He used to write books with a guy who uh, got burned big time in the Me Too movement. He was actually going to write, they'd written a book for the 2016 election. They did 2008. They did 2020 or 2012. They did one for 2020 or 2016. And then oopsie daisy, all this, uh, these women came forward saying that your, uh, your buddy there sexually assaulted me, pressured me into sex, blah, 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 whatever the story was. And so the pub, they just dropped the book. They had all these scoops. They had everything ready to go. And they dropped the book because, well, Nobody's going to touch him with a 10-foot pole if he's out there with this Me Too stuff. And then John Heilman went on to found a website called The Recount. The Recount is a left-wing site. It's a terrible website. And they hired a guy named Slade. Slade. I believe he comes from media. He comes from some left-wing world. He got arrested back in November for child pornography charges. Yeah. Channel 10 up in Boston, ex-news site editor has hundreds of child sex abuse images, Mass DA says. Slade Schomer. Isn't that lovely? So this guy's got a, John Heilman's got a hell of a track record of being around people. (laughs) He can really pick them. The left... You sit there and you go, these people can't get any worse. They can't get any better. They can't get any. No, oh, they can. They can. Hold my beer. Hold my beer. They'll get a, you think they hit the bottom. Hold my beer. I'm going to grab a shovel. And this hasn't gone unnoticed by even on uh, people on the left. Dean Phillips is a Democrat member of the House of Representatives from Minnesota. If you don't know who Dean Phillips is, you're not alone. Most people don't know who Dean Phillips is. But Dean Phillips is one of the announced candidates challenging Joe Biden for the nomination of the Democratic Party. If you, You'd be forgiven if you didn't know that there were people challenging Joe Biden for the Democratic Party's nomination. Marianne Williamson who ran a campaign in 2020, is running again. The only thing is there is no challenge to Joe Biden. The Democratic Party, the Democratic establishment, the people who will sit there and scream until their panties are fully wadded about their love of democracy and how Donald Trump is a threat to democracy, those people have canceled their primaries for all intents and purposes. (laughs) They're still going on, but they're not recognizing anything. The New Hampshire primary is happening tonight, but the Democratic National Committee has said that it is an unsanctioned primary. Therefore, no delegates will be awarded. Joe Biden's name is not even on the ballot. There's a group of people trying to write in his name. Down the uh, South Carolina primary is next week. That's the one Democrats are sanctioning because Joe thinks he can win the support of Black people, again, that's not really working out for him so far, but there's nobody allowed to be on the... They've run around, again, the people who scream this is what democracy looks like, have done everything they can to sue and get people kicked off ballots, as anybody interested in democracy would do, obviously. Duh. 
Well, Dean Phillips is up in New Hampshire because he's trying for a moral victory to raise his profile. He also kind of it's a more of a publicity stunt to raise his profile. And he's getting sick of being asked stupid questions and not being taken seriously and not having his concerns. He's running because he doesn't think Joe Biden is up to the task of beating Donald Trump. Now, I, I think that's great. But Democrats, you can see why Democrats would have a problem with that. He's trying to raise what he views as a serious problem to get people's attention. And the media is just not taking it seriously. So he's finally had enough, and he calls him out on it. I've said this 18,000 times. I'm only doing this to defeat Donald Trump. Nobody seems to want to do that in the Democratic Party right now other than me because Joe Biden can't is my proposition because the data says he can't. No one in the country right now cares. In fact, most of the people in the country are going to the Trump rally right now because he's listening to them. No one's asking about this stuff. I'm just frustrated. I hope you understand why I'm getting tired of it. You're doing your jobs, but you're not asking the questions that Americans give a about. Yeah, it's true. He might have had a little bit of difficulty. It's quiet, quiet, but... He's absolutely right. There isn't a single person in the press corps that's asking questions that the American people care about. They really are. Even Democrats. They're not. You're sitting there. You have Peter Ducey in the White House press briefing room asking legitimate questions about problems at the border and the illegal aliens that the Biden administration is waving on through to this country and the crimes they're committing and the and the victims, the American victims of those crimes. It's not sexual, just sexual assault. There's murders. There are people murdered. There are people who are robbed, beaten every single day. And you go, well, he's the only one asking about it. But the American people care about it. Joe Biden's approval rating when it comes to the border is just below that of penicillin-resistant syphilis. And there's nobody in the press corps. Kelly O'Donnell of NBC News not going to go, hey, what's going on with this border situation? No. You have the Supreme Court for some, I mean, it's a temporary order, but it doesn't really matter. It, why the Biden administration? And this can only happen in a, in a situation where the Biden administration is confident the media is going to have their back. They sued to get razor wire taken off the southern border. At some point, soon, I imagine, they will be physically bringing in cranes to remove razor wire that Texas put up on the southern border to stem the tide of two and a half miles, two and a half miles of razor wire. The Biden administration is demanding that that be removed. Now, illegal aliens can go two and a half miles in one direction, two and a half miles in another direction, still enter the country unfettered. What have you? This one state park, they've stemmed the tide because it's where a whole bunch of illegal aliens were going because the cartels had marked it on their GPSs. They made it mildly inconvenient. You marched for 2,000 miles and now you got to march a mile and a half more. You still get in, you still get your cell phone, you still get your state welfare from the federal government, from the UN. You get all this crap. And the Biden administration says no. Now, a normal person would look at that and go, are you insane? Mr. President, are you, you're up for re-election. You're underwater on 
immigration and handling the border. You got like a 68% disapproval rating, I think is the last one I saw. And you're really going to go to bat for removing razor wire from two and a half miles? You're going to give Republicans the video of your government agents removing a small barricade from one tiny stretch of land. You're going to, you're going to let the, and the narration over that video is going to be endless. It's, it's limitless, the possibilities. You're going to do that. You can only do that if you're president of the United States and you're confident that not one single person in that press briefing room outside of Peter Ducey is going to ask anything about it that you will be able to get away with it. There will be no consequences whatsoever. You have to have that arrogance and the comfort in that knowledge. It's arrogant. There's no doubt it's arrogant, but there is comfort in it. He knows that Kelly O'Donnell, just this side of falling asleep while Peter Ducey's formulating his question about the border, ain't going to go the next day and say, wait a second, why now there's footage of illegal aliens just marching across the border where that razor wire was. Do you really think that was a good move? Do you think this is a constructive use of people's time? That question's never going to be asked. It might be asked by Peter Ducey, but it'll be broadcast on Fox News, which will get less than 1% of the population's eyeballs on it, maybe on a good day. That's what we're up against come November, ladies and gentlemen. Don't think that this is going to be easy. Joe Biden's a horrible, weak candidate, but he's got literally everything going for him. That's what we're up against. I want to kind of wrap it up on a well, a typical, typical leftist sort of thing. There's this woman named Tracy Castro Gill. Tracy Castro Gill. She is out in uh, Washington State. She don't like no Jews. She don't like. She don't like a whole lot of things. But Jews, pretty high up on that list, not a big fan of. She's, of course, a liberal in good standing, a diversity advocate, and all, a victim. you gotta, you got to love these people. They're, I'm a victim advocate. What does that mean? That means I seek out victims and advocate on their behalf. I'm, offend, I'm ready to be offended on behalf of people. Can we be offended on behalf of people? Are you ready? Are you ready to be offended? Can you imagine how miserable your existence would be? If that, in fact, were your existence, we're just sitting there going, so you you just offended on behalf of other people. Yeah, no, I I hate everything and everybody. If it's the United States, uh, they're killing indigenous people. I had no idea. I had no idea that we were killing indigenous people. It's weird how that works. Anyway, she is, uh, let's see, she works for the Washington Ethnic, Ethnic Studies Now organization. They uh, say their bio is ethnic studies in every class in Washington taught by anti-racists committed to centering the history and lived experience, lived experiences of black, indigenous and people of color. That's it. Screw everybody. I love it. Black, indigenous and people of color. People of color covers it if you really want to be technical, doesn't it? But Democrats love segregation so much they need to segregate out that. We're used to separating out blacks and indigenous. What about Hispanics? They're included in people of color. What about Asians? Well, they're... Never mind. See, 
You have to not only be a marginalized person, you have to be a favored marginalized person. Somebody that votes at a high enough percentage for Democrats that they will give a damn about you. Otherwise, they are no good. They're worthless. They don't matter. And they shall not get preferential admissions to Harvard. In fact, they will get just the opposite. Anyway, at a recent town hall there, see the city of uh, Seattle and the state of Washington, they're considering pushing for, and there's a big push amongst the radicals there, to make sure that there's ethnic studies in every grade in all of education because, you know, the failing education system, you can't read or write, but you've got to know how to be offended on behalf of other people. So this um, creature, being as polite as I can, I referred to her in less than, uh, you know, my response to her comments that you're about to hear on Twitter was, Jabba no like Jews. So you can figure out what uh, my thoughts on her are. But listen to her comments and realize that we're committing active genocide right now. I didn't know it. Thank God for Tracy Castro Gill, who finds racism in a bowl of cornflakes. Good morning. My name is Dr. Tracy Castro Gill, and I'm the executive director of Washington Ethnic Studies Now, a 501c4 nonprofit organization dedicated to advancing ethnic studies in every classroom of Washington State. I'm here to testify in opposition of this bill. Of utmost concern I have on the language of this bill is the entire focus of the proposed curriculum is focused on death and oppression. This is the antithesis of what we advocate for. Marginalized people do not begin and end with our oppression. Teaching about genocide and the Holocaust will further the misconception that we do. Additionally, in a time when we are moving away from Eurocentric curricula, I'm confused about why the Holocaust is called out separately from genocide. A genocide is a genocide. And the Holocaust is one genocide that happened in Europe to Europeans. If anything should be called out, it should be the ongoing genocide committed against an indigenous people of the Americas, committed by the U.S. government, which is also well documented. Um, other genocides in Korea, in Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, India, Ethiopia, the Congo, Sudan, Venezuela, and the genocide of Palestinians at the hands of the IDF. But these are largely racialized groups who are Thank regularly you. left Thank out of these narratives. Much. Oh, ho, ho, solo. She don't like Jews very much, man. Oh, the Jews are committing genocide. But why are you focusing so much on that uh, Holocaust-y thing? It's just Europeans being Europeans. People who have been marginalized, you must look at the people who have been marginalized. But let's just call Jews Europeans. And it's just 6 million Europeans killed, really 11 million Europeans. No big shake. Let's really look at, boy, the rest of it is the slowest rolling genocide in history, isn't it? You're genociding indigenous people and have been since the founding of this country and since the first settlement of this country. Wow, we white people are really ineffective and inefficient at genocide then. Because, you know, it's been almost 250 years of this country, almost, you know, a little over 400 years of, of uh, colonization in this continent, on this continent. And yet we haven't been able to genocide anybody because that's not the point. It's always these leftists who would absolutely commit ethnic genocide if they got the chance, if they got the power, who are ready to be offended on behalf of people. Oh, let's not forget the sweet, sweet, nourishing Hamas. They're being genocided. Yeah, they are. Yes, the IDF has killed a lot of Hamas terrorists. Hamas has killed a lot of Hamas terrorists, too, because, you know, you strap bombs to somebody and send them off into the market. They, uh, they don't tend to come home. 
especially when they're strapping it to kids and special needs individuals and you have the remote, right? These are the people that the left defends. And these are the people they have credentials. I'm Dr. Tracy Castro. Uh, I'm Dr. Jill Biden. Let's all bow down to the wonderful knowledge this doctor has. It's a scary, scary place. It's a scary, scary thing that these people exist. These people have access to our schools. These people have influence in our school curriculum. Terrifying times. These are Democrats, ladies and gentlemen, Democrats. All right, that is enough for today. I say we'll get into the results of the Iowa, or the Iowa caucuses of the New Hampshire primary tomorrow. I will just take this moment as we part, because parting is such sweet sorrow, to note which book will be the contest book this week. And it'll be a two-week or week-and-a-half contest since it's already Wednesday. This is a big one, ladies and gentlemen. You'll want to you wanna play this home game. The book is No Dream is Too High, Life Lessons from a Man Who Walked on the Moon by the one and only Buzz Aldrin. That's right, Buzz Aldrin, the second human being on the moon. I went to an event with him at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum, got books signed. This is one of them, and it's going to be owned by somebody out there for five bucks a month to enter contests like this. You can't beat it. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or Derek Hunter.locals.com. Check it out. See who play. Support the program, if you will. And have a great Wednesday. We'll see you tomorrow.